Hello, and thank you for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs, a podcast of how to get the most bang for your buck playing multiple war games. My name is James, and today I'm joined by a special guest. I'm Erin, his wife. <laughs> or as the bank refers to you, co-applicant. <laughs> Only sometimes. Depends Only on the loan. <laughs> how big it is, how much juice they want. All right. So today, Erin will be joining us because she's appeared a little bit on our YouTube channel, but she's normally the behind-the-scenes individual, the magic behind the curtain there. But her specialty is actually 3D printing out of the triumvirate that helps the channel. Okay, specialty would be overstating. All right, I have fumbled my way into this since, what, February. Um, I would, I would not in any way call myself an expert. I, I just kind of Google stuff and then see what happens and see what I can figure out. Well, I think the reason I wanted you on is that like most miniature war gamers, once you start playing multiple war games or once you get big into one, the first thing you look at when you see a 3D printer is a chance to make terrain cheap. And that's, that's always the, the allure of it, but it's always, is 3D printing an adjunct to the hobby, or is it a hobby in and of itself? Yes. <laughs> it well, is both. It very much is both. If you are not tech savvy, or you don't want to sit there and fiddle with the machine a lot, this you should not bother with this. Well, before we get into that, why don't we discuss your bona fides, or your street cred in the miniature wargaming world? Uh, I have no, cred. What's your, no, what's the, what's the miniature wargame? Tell us your origin story. I have an origin story. <laughs> well, how did you get? Isn't that isn't that divulging too much information? Aren't those the security questions they ask? Like what city you're from, your mother's maiden name. I don't think I can give that away on public uh, air. So you've assembled and painted models. Yes. Right. Yes. How did you okay. get started in that? You. <laughs> <laughs> it was called. I want to do something to bond with my husband. And what is this plastic that he constantly is around that he glues together and like stares at by by the hour? Um, um, I remember you came into the living room and you saw a tub covered in fourth edition Warhammer Fantasy Battle Dwarves. Yes. What are these? Well, when you get trapped in a uh, snowstorm. And you are stuck with somebody for three days that you're dating, and you can't leave because the roads are closed. You get bored, especially without a TV or any other form of entertainment. So, uh, you know, you look for ways to entertain yourself. Apparently. G-rated ways to entertain yourself. So, so you tried your hand at a couple bits of the hobby. I mean, we even did entries to back when Games Workshop would do the... Uh, Golden Demon contest in Baltimore yeah. back in the day. Well, we took your brother as his birthday present every year for yeah. a few years. And that was kind of fun. That was interesting. I mean, I, I was never interested in actually playing it. Anything that has a rule book that doesn't just fit on the lid of a game box is going to be more investment than I have any desire to have. I mean, I've, I've played pieces of some of these with you out of interest and curiosity and, and things like that. But... Um, it's just too much for me to remember. Like the, the I, I don't care enough. Like it could be fun, but I just I have trouble like pushing past that because by the time I get around to playing again, I have totally forgotten what I'm doing, and it's just it's more investment in time than than I I just care to put into it. I, I'm interested in other things. I'd much rather spend that time designing terrain or just anything else with a 3D printer. 
once I realized I like to do that. <laughs> but I think there is a one miniature game that did catch your attention. Yeah, the MCP. I, I, okay, admittedly, you know, you've got a bunch of hunky guys from the movie, and now they're in miniature. And I know that these guys are actually um, based off of the comic books and not off of the movie series. But still, it's kind of fun. And, and the rule set is thin. It's a pamphlet instead of a novel. So it's, it's, still, it's still pretty good. I still have yet to get around to reading the rules well enough to actually play the game because I keep getting distracted by pandemic activities like making masks and mothering activities like homeschooling our daughter. So that has, has sucked down um, a lot of time and I constantly get distracted by other stuff. But um, no, th those ones are interesting to me. Um, I like things that have cards because it is a visual reminder to me of what does this thing do. And I can just look at it. I don't have to memorize it. I don't have to open up a PDF on my, on my iPad because, you know, nothing's printed anymore. I don't need to leaf through a 30-page booklet and half of its pictures, which is nice. The, the art is amazing. But I don't want to have to do that to play the game. So this one met those uh, qualifications for me and it had a lot of female characters which is kind of nice because a lot of those games are very male centric and when they do have female characters they're either they look like men men's heads with boobs or they're so sexy that i'm like yeah no one would go into battle like this because well they'd be shredded in about three seconds um, and it's too, I mean, vampy is one thing, but it's not even vampy. It doesn't even look good. Like, it's not even, like, a sexy-looking character. The body is, but then the head is, like, really? Come on. So, well, sometimes I wonder on those if it's actually the paint job. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's, the Sisters of Battle, when we saw that when Ella was about ones. six, yeah. what was it? Did I get it wrong? No, you got it okay. right, <laughs> Those things were horrid. Are you kidding me? Like, how many beers would you have to drink? To pick up that chick. I'm just asking. Well, I'm saying it is not a pretty sight. They they are stimmed out. So, you know, they are punching the roids there a little bit. So, you know, it does square your jaw and, like, deepen your voice. <laughs> okay. Well, you that's, know. That's, un, that's unfair body shaming on your part. You know what? I'll own that. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Let's have them be curvy. Let's have them look like real women. And that's one thing you absolutely never see that I've seen. Maybe it's out there. There's so many of these companies. I'm sure I don't know them all. I'm 100% I'm certain of that. I don't think even you know them all. Mm -hmm. um, you never see any that are represented for anything other than a white race. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen an African-American female character sculpt. Or Asian or any of those, really. I mean, you have it in MCP, which is why you like it with, like, mm -hmm. Storm on, like... But, yeah, I don't... I think the issue there is you get, there are some, but when you start getting into that, it's more historical. So there's okay. not like, it's not like the Zulus fielded an all-female, I mean, you get some of the Japanese, you'll get like the uh But But if Onibushi. you're talking about fantasy, you can make whatever you want. Like, there's literally no rules. You invent the story. So there's no, like historical, I get they didn't exist in combat unless they were nurses. Fine, I get that. But we're talking about fantasy and we're talking about sci-fi. Put in whatever you want. In the future, really, we still haven't gotten past this point? There, there are no clans of this? Sisters of Battle. Again, I go back to my <laughs> previous back statement around. for a couple of different reasons. The point is, 
the MCP has a lot more feminine characters. They, they kind of match the general aesthetic. And I saw those and said, hey, I might actually be able to get Ella to play this because with me. Because she does not want, she loves D&D. But if she cannot play a female character that looks like a female character, she has negative interest in it. Like, even more so than I do. I would do it just for the sake of playing the game. Because I like to play games. Simple games. Let me qualify that. Um, I don't like to play overly complex, rule-heavy games. I mean, you guys go into that and, like, if I wanted to go to law school, I'd be hey, having a very different life right now. The funny one, the ones you hear us talking about are... Brian and I spend most of our time talking about the skirmish games, so it's not even the uh, I've seen them on your ones. shelf. I've seen them on your shelf. Uh, that's, um, uh, oh, well, some of the thick ones? Yeah, yeah. They they can get crunchier. I mean, what uh -huh. the, probably the most complicated one you tried was Star Wars Armada. Remember we did? Did we I took, play a whole game of that? I don't remember. Well, we had uh, <laughs> so that was our learning game. We went to Eagle and Empire. Remember, that was, uh, we broke out the Star Wars Armada. You played uh, Rebels. Okay, if you say so. That was the one with the big ships, right? Yes. Like, X-Wing, I could handle because it was all pre-made. I didn't have to do any work that I didn't have time to do to play. It had the cards, although when you started getting in there with those extra cards and those extra tokens, even we played that quite a few times at home because it fit on a standard card table almost. Which was nice. So we yeah, were doing that in the evening. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. I like that. We could put the TV on and we could get that out and pop up the card table and then swipe it all away. And by the time the kid got up in the morning, because she was really little then and went to bed at like 8, um, we could put it away that night and we didn't have to leave it out. And I really, really liked that. Although you did have a little issues trying not to run off the edge of the table. <laughs> um, but still, that was fun. But even then, like I get the little cards that I chose. And I would totally forget I even had those abilities for like the whole game. I go put them away and go, oh yeah, I wonder how that worked. I should have done that. I wonder what I was supposed to do because I forgot because they all have certain stipulations of when you can use them for which circumstance. And it was just, I was so focused on just thinking about my turn in advance, like with chess. I just didn't even, I forgot it was even there. So, and, and, and if that, that tells you plenty about me because that was my level with X-Wing and the, that is like as simple as these things get, you know. Yeah. Um, beyond the, the starter rules, which, which are fun unto themselves. Yeah, I think, well, Elle and her friends played yeah. the X-Wing first edition starter rules. Yeah. Where all the ships are pretty much the same, and you just run back and forth and shoot. So. Yeah, see, I kind of wish they had something in between that. Like, it just, I like having the options for other, um, other ships and other choices, but I just don't like all the extra stuff that goes along with the next level up of the game. Like, I'm kind of an in-between thing. Like, I want to have fun and I want to have choices, but I don't want to have so many choices that I can't even keep track of what they all are, and it takes me 45 minutes to digest. So what will be the outcome of this if I do this and all of this stuff? And, and you're really into it, and I think that's great, and it's fun for you, but for me, I'm like, you know, I'm more hands-on. I don't want to read about it. I don't, I don't care that much about the storyline, which I live with two people for, li for whom life is a storyline. So, you know, I'm very outvoted there, but I'm like, what are the mechanics of the game? I want to play the mechanics of the game, and I want to try to win. And I really don't care about the rest of it. And I know I'm very alone in the world with that, especially probably to all of your listeners. <laughs> um, you know, but I just, I, I don't. Like, Checkers is great for me. Video game, <laughs> I like Mario. has That is the max amount of star, a storyline I like in a game. <laughs> uh, normally, um, at this point, we talk about 
what we're hobbying on. Sure. So we talked about your origin story. What's the last miniature set you worked on? Because we actually have a little dynamic there. Uh, what uh, did you have me assemble? I don't remember. <laughs> let me look around. It was, oh, I know. I attempted to assemble. It was a World War II. I did the tanks. Those were fun. But then you gave me these miniatures on oh, screw yes. that were... Bolt action. Yeah. And the problem was nothing was labeled, which was fine, but there were so many different combinations, there was no actual way I could assemble them according to the pictures on the box the way you asked me to. So I had to, I had to hand those yeah, ones back to you. I bought the Guadalcanal uh, release set for um, Warlord Games for bolt action. Not sure. Guadalcanal, the... Um, I don't know. The book. They recently did a book on the Central Island campaigns in the Western Pacific for World War II. Okay. And so you got a bunch of... Uh, you already got me uh, the USMC starter set from Bolt Action. Yeah. I didn't have any Japanese. So, like, when you said, oh, get them Warlord Games, and I lifted off sets. You asked off for sets. German, and you asked well, for Well, you said, what kind of Marines. armies would you like out there? With because... the Flushenschlagers or something. I know so I, I mispronounced that. If I was going to do something like Warlord Games, and like I said, USMC, definitely... Uh, maybe uh, Fallschirm Jaeger. So you bought me USMC and Fallschirm Jaeger. Yeah. So naturally, I needed Japanese <laughs> to go against my. I, I don't know why. <laughs> my history uh, education was very subpar. <laughs> so I I bought the Japanese to go against my Marines eventually. Oh. And so yeah, you were the Germans trying... couldn't go against your Marines. No, I mean if we were going to do alternate history or like oh okay, do that. well yeah. you told me what you liked. Was... I made it happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that, uh, so that, that is right. Bolt Action has an issue of where they give you, like, box art and give you rules in a book, and you never, I didn't hand you the book to look at, and I just said, match the box art. And you're know, like, the sprue in the arms, that was one, I think I assembled my first squad, uh -huh. and then it's like, okay, because when you get the starter armies, you yeah. have, like, five sprues of infantry in there, so right. well, all it's a learning process going through were identical, but... It didn't match what was on the box. So I'm like, I, I can't. And the way the angle, the pictures, the miniatures were illustrated or the photo was taken on the box, they weren't at such an angle that I could even distinguish whether the legs were this way or this way because the legs and the sprue, it could have been the guy laying down or it could have been the guy crouching because their knees were bent at like the same angle according to the box art. So I'm like, I, I have no idea. And yeah. then you have to choose your weapons and all the little stuff to make the army the way you want to, and there's just no way I was going to pull that off. Yeah, but uh, but I did assemble your tanks; those were fun. That uh, so normally the way it works, you assemble them. Yeah, give it to me. Not always. Uh, I do occasionally when I'm looking for something different to do. Yeah. Uh, I have a pile. I, yeah, I have a plastic pile. And yeah, you can go and pull something out there if you feel like assembling something. Sure. And uh, so on my table here, I finally got. I painted Groot. Groot. Yay! Well, so Rocket. Rocket's done. I've been well, no, he's not. For he's Rocket. not done. This oh. is this is the first. I'm just roughing in the primary colors. Of okay. Rocket. So I spent my time uh, trying to finish off the terrain from the starter box that you got and the okay. NYC terrain expansion. Yeah. There minus, was a lot minus of it. the buildings. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got halfway through it. Then yeah. we got the NYC city terrain expansion, and so it's uh -huh. like now I've got to get all those to match what I did. And so fortunately, I take notes. But I know you've wanted... Um, Groot is lonely. Yeah. Groot you is wanted sitting Rocket on for a my while. desk. Well, I, I told you, I yellow is a pain. And yes, Rocket, it doesn't cover. Rocket's blaster is yellow. Mm, and so I That's why you were putting it off. Well, 
I pract I painted like six Ogren for my Necromunda, mm -hmm. and their armor's yellow. Mm. So I've had six guys to practice how to get yellow on and, you know, okay. looking right without... Because MCP is just like, it's not grim dark. It's got like that high gloss comic yeah. finish to it. Yeah. So you got to get that yellows and whites have to be on right. smooth to look right. Yeah. And so I had always avoided yellow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I used the Ogrins to practice yellow so I could get his blaster right. But yep, he's on the table now. Yay! And I've got them all lined up underneath my computer screen. Yeah, because you, you went with, with MCP... I got had, the Hulk. I painted all the I painted all the guys in the base set and yeah. uh you got what uh the I got the Hulk, I got Rocket and Groot cuz those were cute and um there's another one I've got sitting out there I'm Green Goblin. Green Goblin, that's right. Yeah. yeah. The only, it's, uh, you haven't put together Spider-Man and Ghost, Ghost Spider. Ghost Spider. No, I know. That's I've been too busy with my last batch of masks <laughs> um, and getting ready for classes. So I haven't, and getting Ella back into this z school zone since it's after Christmas. So that has sucked up every moment of my day. Well, so how about we turn to the other table there and we'll yes. talk about the thing that's actually sucked down most of your the, hobby time. The other table the you can't see. <laughs> yeah, but that is actually, who's, who's the guy? So you printed oh. off some 3D printing buildings okay. for me yes you you wanted uh there's there's a guy terrain for print i, I don't on know his name he's yes he's on thingiverse and um it's free if you want to download those uh he takes donations through i think he has patreon and i think he's from sweden because he said new york's new york city brownstone i think that's what you call it so or east coast's you know apartment or townhouse buildings is what they were looking for so you you wanted those and you sent me those even before Christmas and that was just like not on the agenda with all the run up to the Christmas holiday stuff. So um, I finally got around to doing that, but when you we printed it out, it's a lovely building. I mean, the design is is impeccable. Even when we printed, I actually it, found the photos he based those off. Yeah. When you Google it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I found because he I I originally got them to do like uh, Brooklyn. But I actually found he's he's actually imitating a neighborhood on like the on the east side. Okay. So I found that. Well, they I mean these would work for DC, uh, pretty yeah. much any eastern Baltimore. seaboard, yeah. probably Boston. I mean I haven't been to downtown Boston, so I can't say that specifically. But I would venture a guess you've got some I townhouses mean, that I'm look sure like that in Boston. Someplace on Beacon Hill. Yeah. Looks like I that. mean the, pretty much anywhere, Alexandria, Virginia, you know. Anywhere that you have those row house style, townhouse, brownstone-y type things, it would totally work for that. And he did an impeccable job with the designing, and I, I tipped him some money for that because, you know, I mean, I know how long it will take to create that. And they're modular, so you can just do the fronts or just do the backs, and you have multiple different uh, choices for having an entry, not having an entry, so you can make it like a two twice as wide with one entrance, so it's like, you know, a double wide version of that and it's great um, but for your purposes it it didn't really meet your needs because they don't have floors in them and um, they were a little bit big like I printed off the front of the first one and it was sizable like it, it looked great and I think if you were a train enthusiast uh, it would definitely well, it's work. It's definitely sized for the O scale, so it looks yeah. great with the. Or uh, HO, I don't know my train scales. It's, it's O scale because it's great for the forty millimeter scale MCP. Like the way, yeah. if you yeah. did just download the files and print it off. Yes. 
the uh, Batman miniature game, so the um, yes, 32, 32, 35 millimeter, yeah. and the MCP, the guys fit in the doorways, windows, yeah. great. But the reason I wanted this was for Funky Skulls games. Okay. Their, um, there are no skulls on this. <laughs> it's a brownstone. Well, no, but it's it's making fun of the 1979 movie, The Warriors. So it's like okay. street, it's a movie from the uh, long time ago. You can uh, torture me with that if you can find it, it on streaming. <laughs> It's on YouTube for I found it on YouTube. Well, we got that on there too. <laughs> but I I wanted something from that period, and these buildings have been around for a long time. So in the seventies, sure. they were around, and there's a lot of flexibility. But that's where I gave it to you, and like we played around printing off different ones until right. we found the right scale. And right. Well, the way um, the easiest way to do that is go by the doorway. So I printed off the smallest, fastest piece I could that had a door on it and then we measured it up according to that and and I actually scaled it down 70% and then I added a floor and I, I made some other modifications because once we shrunk it down then it messed up the outside of the building and it was rough on the edges and um, then you know once I added the floor then the little things the little feet prongs that fit into the bottom where they nest that didn't fit, so I had to take those off. So it's it was kind of a, a process. But this is a remix, and I reposted it on Thingiverse if anybody wants it. Um, so you know it's it's there. But the the issue with if you do it at the standard scale and you want to use it with um, MCP or Batman, that's great. But if you put it next to any of the other MCP terrain you can buy, it is wickedly oh, yeah. out of scale. I mean, it's it's comically out of scale. So if you if you go with the 28 millimeter size that I've shrunken down, it will m blend in with the other MCP yeah. terrain buildings that you have. And then there's of course you know the dump truck, which is like the size of one of the stores, which makes absolutely no sense for any reason. That would look perfectly fine with the original size of the buildings. The yeah. the dump truck, that's a that's a great size. So through this whole process, we've talked about like melding files and testing everything. So. For like someone getting into it, that sounds like, wow, how do I even get there? So we should probably talk about like how we started getting how into 3D. How I ended up into this? Yeah, so originally you bought me a 3D printer. I did, I did. I got, okay, so, well, that goes back a little further. Before we moved out here to, Al to Albuquerque area, um, you like to mold things using resin and the silicone mix in the basement of our old house, because that's where your setup was, with one window and a door which you refused to open. And the fumes in this were horrendous and, you know, toxic. So when we moved out here, we ended up with an extra garage bay we didn't need. So I said, okay, set that nonsense up out there, open the garage door, this is good. But the thing that we've, the things we've always had issues with, with you doing your hobbying, I think it's great to do your hobbying, I don't begrudge you that, I have my own stuff I like to do, so, you know, um, I don't have any issues with that. But it was always located in a space because you need a lot of space where you were so far away from the rest of the family that just even to find you, I have to text you because if I yell, the dog barks and hears me and you don't. So it was kind of, oh, seriously, it's a problem. So, um, you know, I couldn't ever visit with you when you were doing your hobby. You were always, you had to always choose between spending time with the family or spending time with your hobby. And when we moved into this house, we have a loft space and we were able to set it up so that we could have you around. Well, the issue with the mold making is you're still back out in the garage. So my solution to that was to get you a 3D printer. 
Now we started off with this little Delta, I think it was a Delta mono one, and it only had like a four inch round diameter print plate. So you could only print teeny tiny stuff. Yeah, what, which I thought was hilarious because he said, because I was making, we won't say which miniatures I was making well, clones of irrelevant. and everything, but it was all tiny stuff. And Cass, making molds and pouring molds for tiny things and big things are different. Yes. So you thought I was going to make shoulder pads and bases, like I fancy think you just, little tiny chachkis. I think you just gave up your what you were doing. <laughs> and instead, you saw me printing off terrain pieces. Well, And well, I was I... Ma quickly maxed out um, what the bed could support on the Delta. Now, the thing I loved about the Delta is it was... You put in the little micro SD drive uh -huh. that you pulled down from Thingiverse. You slice the file. No, there's YouTube videos that show you how to do that. You pop it in. It self-levels. The head tells it where it is because it's, it's like a little contained cage. And everything yeah. just happens within that cage. And everything, it's, an it's the octagon. It's not an octagon. but You know, in like auto maintenance, it's like changing your oil. It's yes. like plug it in and go. That's why Any I picked it. <laughs> and now what happened is, like, to really do what I wanted to do on the terrain, we needed something bigger. Well, I, I picked that one out on purpose because I found that most of these do not have, most 3D printers do not have self-leveling beds. And that means every time you move it or bump it or something happens or you pry something off the plate and it gets off a little bit, you have to level it manually again with, like, all this stuff or it doesn't come out right. Well, that's a pain. And I said, so what I did, I think it was like, it was under $200. It was like $150 or something like that. And I got it for you. It was a Christmas present. I came back from a trip and it was like. No, no. That was a Christmas present. That was a Christmas the first one was a Christmas present. Yeah, okay. my parents were here. You opened it up. So um, that one I got you for Christmas with a little print guide and all that stuff. And I said, here you go. Because if it ended up being more trouble than it was worth, I didn't want to sink a lot of money into something and have it collect dust. So I thought, well, this will get your, you'll cut your teeth on this. You'll see whether you like it. And then if you like it, and I told you that at the time, we can upgrade you to something more substantial. Well, you ran that thing into the ground. I think it was running almost every day, all day long. And since I homeschool, I'm home all day. I, he would turn that thing on before he left for work. And so it was done when he got back because it's a little tiny print service. And he'd print these things with like a six to 12 hour printing all day long. I would hear this noise. <laughs> Drove me absolutely insane. And this is on the first floor, and I'm on the second story, and I could hear this thing grinding away. You also burnt out the plate bed, the, the print bed, like that. You couldn't even stick stuff to it. It was peeling off. Like, I, I, and at, at that point, the motor, I think, even died. Um, it wouldn't heat or something. I mean, yeah. I could have replaced the hot end, but still. For what it was worth, I think it would have been cheaper to buy a new one. So when I saw how much you were using that, last year for Valentine's Day, I bought you a Prusa i3MK3S. And yes, I wrote that down because it's a bunch of letters and numbers and I never remember the order they come in. Uh, so, you know, and I bought the kit. So he was away on a work trip. And while he was gone, I got that. This was like right before the pandemic started too. So I assembled that whole thing while he was gone. That was a four day project because you could get it assembled but it's like an extra $250, and you have to have this thing shipped from the Czech Republic. It is I, worth I, it. I thought it was Printer USA. I didn't realize <laughs> it was actually the guy's name. No, it's his name. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I researched him, and I wanted something that was self-leveling. And the, the other big thing that I noticed is a problem, 
was you could never get your prints off. So the Prusa, which is the other reason I chose it, it's self-leveling, it's, it's pretty self-sufficient overall, it's very easy to use, um, and it has removable plates. So you can just pull off the sheet, the PEI sheet, pop it, and it just peels right off because you can bend the steel sheet, steel spring sheet, and it loosens the um, print from the plate. And a lot of them, you don't have that issue. And you also have to manually adjust them with wing, with screws and nuts to, to um, make the plate level. And I went, nope, if it's too big of a hassle, I won't do it. He won't do it. It'll just be, you'll spend so much time trying to get something to come out right that you're just going to get sick of it. It's like, well, I don't have time for that today because I just can't get it to work. So the, um, now the Prusa was like $750, I think, uh, if you assemble it yourself as a kit. And it is a project. Like, if you don't like IKEA furniture, this is not the project for you. Just pay the extra money and have it sent to you ass assembled. I love IKEA furniture, so this is not, I saw it as a, as a personal challenge. But it did take me four days, over the course of four days, not all day long, but I have other things, you know, I had to take care of the kid and the dog and all that other stuff and do school with her, um, to, to assemble it. And I wanted to make sure I got everything really leveled and everything so that it was all square and put on. Because if you don't, then when you move things, when things move around, if they're not level, they gouge out the steel rods and there's just, it's a thing. It's a thing. So you want to take your time and really do it right. But once you do, I mean, it's a beautiful machine. It runs all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's certain things you can't print. The print space is only so big. But we really haven't run into that as a particular no, I don't think we've issue. Ever maxed it out. I think. No, I've come close. These buildings, the they came, they came kind of close. Actually, you know what did? I I three I designed and three D printed a mask face mask template. Since I was making massive amounts of masks for all this nonsense uh, for friends and family, I got tired of the um, cardstock cutout I was using, which was shredding to death when I trace the outline of the mask onto the fabric. So I designed and 3D printed a version of that so I could just draw it on with a pen and it didn't wiggle and it didn't. That maxed out the plate actually for the adult size because it was, it's like, um, like 250 millimeters. I'm also getting very good at the metric system. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's what I noticed. I think most, I think the most advanced files I've I actually bought was like uh, off War Games Vault company ESLO, mm -hmm. and they have a um, shogunate fortress. So like a medieval Japan. Okay. Fort. They do like sales, and it was oh, like a Lord. huge sale on like this fortress. So I I bought it. Um, I haven't handed it to you, but it I seems didn't know like, about this. I was gonna yeah, say, but, when was this? <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're running one today on uh, near east, near eastern like Middle East like uh -huh. buildings like. Turkish Sultanate type stuff. I'm going to pass on that one. I'll pass on that. Okay. But what I've noticed is the Prusa bed, for the f way the people slice the files, uh -huh. I don't think people really make 3D files bigger because you got the big Prusa. You didn't get the, the mini. They have a mini that had just come out, but that thing was actually back ordered like until July and I purchased the thing in January because you have to remember you're shipping from the Czech Republic. Now you get $50 flat rate shipping on the thing. From DHL and I tell you what man they do an excellent job that thing got here before other stuff I ordered from Amazon I was amazed um, uh, yeah getting stuff from the UK <laughs> or Europe like models if you select DHL yeah I've, I've had stuff from somewhere somewhere like the Midlands of England and it's like by the afternoon of the next day I've got my shipment it's like we couldn't get stuff out of Kansas City I was gonna say like... it's still I've still got something sitting in Amazon at Lenexa, Kansas, you know, from Amazon. Um, 
you know, so, so yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. And then when I saw all the little things that were involved in keeping it the way you need to, because, you know, you got to make sure you maintain it, you oil it, you have to treat the bed very specially to make sure it consistently works. And it's, I like to think of it as, as sticky as a gecko's foot, because any kind of oils, residue, anything from your fingertips, the prints, actually the, the, uh, I, we only use PLA so far. I mean, I, well, I, I bought TPU and that was an interesting experience. I do not like using it. You have to adjust your extruder, your, um, the, the gear that feeds in the filament. You have to loosen it to use that. So it grips it properly. It's a, it's a pain cleaning. It's a pain and I can never get anything to come out right. So I'd really have to want it. I don't think I want it that badly, but the, the PLA is the least toxic of the bunch. And it does kind of smell sweet because it's actually uh, all plant-based, which is why I chose it. So yes, it's still toxic, but it's like less toxic. It's like lead paint chips. Oh, that's sweet. not even funny. <laughs> they do Are taste you sweet. Really? That yeah. would explain a lot, you know, from personal experience. Uh, hey, I, I, I spent a lot of time in old military days. <laughs> in college. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere on that wall there was lead paint because no one scraped those walls. They painted them every year. Well, you're year. fine <laughs> as long as they don't scrape them. <laughs> well... Well, when the bricks started falling out, so I'm sure somewhere in there is uh, some lead dust right there. <laughs> it does. It would explain a few things. I'm not gonna lie. Well, you know, and I think once once you built it, well, you I kind of I kind of just handed it over to you because the thing I found is like where 3D printing now, besides the Delta. Which, well, sure, yeah. Yeah, besides the Delta, which is kind of like a car today, where you hand me a car keys, I get in the car, I right. start the car, I drive, I can do a thousand miles. A, a <laughs> Don't printer try today changing is the kind oil, of, though. <laughs> yeah, getting like a Prusa yeah. is kind of like buying an Italian car. Like you sit down, or like guys in the 50s out there, like constantly tinkering with little stuff around it and it's like a constant maintenance job and just like the mental bandwidth to deal with that and say Aaron can handle it. Actually that's the interesting thing. That's true of pretty much all 3D printers. I bought the Prusa because it had the least of those issues. Well, that's, and that was the surprising part because the big one's the self-leveling bed. Yes. Because I, I was and reading springs, up on it. the steel spring plate. Those are, oh, those were the two yeah. things I'm like, you know what? I mean, they're, and they're mid-grade. If you really, cost-wise, they're mid-grade. Um, I mean, cause like the fancy 3d printers are like two grand or something like that. I'm like, yeah, no, uh, -uh. but your enders and, and those, I mean, those can run you anywhere from like two to five. So for, for my money, I'm like, okay, I'm paying for the convenience. It's, it's kind of like buying an Apple product. If you think about it, well, back in the day, at least where you buy it, you turn it on and it just kind of works. Like you're not constantly dealing with windows and trying to make, figure out where they hid this file. It's just kind of there. Yeah. You know, and that's, and, and for me, that's what the Prusa was. Like, I don't have to figure it out too much, just enough to make it work. Um, but that was the other thing. I, I like to keep all my stuff like highly maintained and organized and neat. And you and Ella are less inclined to do so. So I was like, after I spent four days assembling that, I'm like, don't touch it. <laughs> don't mess up my I baby. Was, I was fine with that. But you know, that. So like seven fifty for the Prusa. So it's like yeah. the value proposition. Well, eight if but, you throw in the, yeah. you know, um, shipping, but and then in tax. All the filament. And you don't have that though. That was nice. <laughs> you know the the thing I found with like the three D printers is using it for terrain mm -hmm. is because after you spend all the money on paints and primers and models and all the time, it's like okay now I want to create the terrain for an immersive environment. Right. You can stack books and cereal boxes. But after you've painted, 
your beautiful army? Mm -hmm. Do you want them maneuvering around this? So it's like you go to someone like Games Workshop or even Warlord Games. Once you paid for the models, you look at the price point on terrain and you're yeah. like, God, just punch me in the stomach again. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying to get like a really beautiful, intricate. Right. You're looking at the same cost as your army. Right. Um, but that's why I was like, okay, let's say an average large terrain piece mm -hmm. from Games Workshop will run you from 60 to $100. Sure. Uh, if you take 100 divided by 750, eight large prints off the Prusa. Yes. Right there, you've pretty much... Well, I mean, you have to pay for the filament, but the filament isn't that bad. I think it's like, I and I'm buying the stuff, I, I buy the stuff made by the Prusa company, the Prusa Mint PLA, and I, again, I, I both bought that, and I had it shipped from... Um, the Czech Republic, and I've got enough of it to probably last me through an zombie apocalypse. But nonetheless, um, well, we're starting to run out of filament in the U.S. Once um, the pandemic started and people started, yeah, I didn't have that problem. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I've got a bunch of it. But it's it's around maybe thirty if you factor in the shipping, like per item, because I bulk bought it and everything, and I got a discount for bulk buying it. And if you buy from Prusa, they give you a discount on any of their filaments and stuff so like you save like 10 percent or something i can't remember what it was because it's been a while um but and i also bought a set of replacement parts for everything so that if something went bad i didn't have to wait for it to be shipped to from the um czech republic i could just keep on keeping on so um with that though it's like 30 dollars a spool around it came around 30 to 30 to 35 for a spool and i mean like you could probably get and you can't see this so that's less meaningful to you but, I mean, I could get, like, a foot-by-foot foot square block, city block, on about, I would say, one. So, for $30, and, and James is going to post pictures of this on Facebook so you can see what we're talking about. But it's, it's um, three three-story buildings that take up a one-foot square yeah, space. Yeah, one-foot by one-foot. Yeah. Yeah, standard yeah. block space. Yeah. A standard block space, and that probably cost $30. I mean, I might have gotten more out of it than that. But I know I know it took under um, one spool because it was all the same color, and that's how I know that because <laughs> well, I changed from gray to green. And that's because we scaled it down from what right. the guy originally had. And that's and that's why I wanted is... Even then, you probably could get it out of one spool, one room. Well, so looking at the storage requirement in, like, the shelves, so in the game room where we have, like, the 6 by 4 table mm -hmm. and everything, so this will take a 1 foot by 1 foot by 1 foot cube of space in there, and I can use it for um, Street Wars NYC, mm -hmm. anything that's an East Coast urban setting. Yeah. I can use this for, and 28 millimeters you know, you cheat some of the objects on there. It's going to work for yeah. MCP, Batman, um, any other 28 millimeter game. So it's a good use in that cabinet space of where, you know, put this stuff away. Yeah. Uh, so for 30 bucks, it's usable across a huge number of games. Well, I mean, something that size would cost you far more than $30. Oh, yeah. Well, even if you get like the MDF, because you also looked at like getting a yeah, laser cut. Yeah, MDF just well, that's a project for another day. That'll, have, that'll be the next my your... next work trip. When I come back. There's going to be a MDF cutter, like a laser cutter in the garage. I was going to say I have to cut that's into your garage me... space for that. <laughs> that's well, you know, you you asked me for a CNC machine and you brought up the I laser did cut, not. and you had me get rid of that table in the garage. So I know that my first trip after this is all over, I'm going to come back and it's like, what the heck is this? 
There's going to be like a little table jigsaw. I make no promises. Like no, I don't want a jigsaw table. I already looked into that. I need a full table because I'll cut my finger off if I try to use the other tools. I well, don't have enough hand strength for that, my, and I know my it. My dad did that with that one he got. That, that's not a fun injury to have. Yeah, he had that for your brother's wedding. <laughs> yeah. But, well, so, you know, we've talked about the value of just, okay, so you go on Thingiverse. Mm-hmm. You find some stuff. And there's plenty of great designers out there. Especially if you just want, like, you're playing Rangers of Shadow Deep or Frostgrave. Sure. The Terrain for Print mm-hmm. guy, he makes that Ulfheim, which is basically Frostgrave. Okay. So that's perfectly in line with Frostgrave. So are you going to mm-hmm. contact the Cromlech, a Polish company, and pay, like, 50, I don't know, euros, whatever, whatever I play would... money they use over there. Hey, like, that's not know? cool. <laughs> Whatever imaginary money they use, James, and have it sent over here. Be respectful. They have enough diplomacy <laughs> issues right now. Don't ask. <laughs> uh, so you get that sent over, or you can go on and like have it printed off, and you paint it up. But I think the next level of value is, you know, making your own stuff. That's my favorite so, part. I mean, you know, you can buy you can buy stuff, and you can go to Thing first. So like Dewey Cat, yeah, this one guy. He makes great stuff for like a couple bucks. Great for bolt action. Yeah, um, I've looked at some of it. But it's like there's sometimes where no one has what you're looking for. And we especially found this in MCP terrain. So that's probably the yeah. first thing that you started making. Well no, well, okay. So the first, well the first thing I made, I actually designed some ear savers for the for face masks for the pandemic. Well, yeah, I, which I love because it doesn't the, my mask no longer touches my ear. It's more like a bandana for me. Right, so. yeah. Well you can wear it a number of ways. And that's also one thing of verse if that's something you're ever interested in. But, um, but no, well, so it was one of those things. It's like, okay, well, I 3D printed you a Valentine's card, so I had to figure out how to do that in Tinkercad. And Tinkercad is great. It's free. Um, it's it's el- relatively easy to use. It just gives you basic shapes, and then you can either turn those shapes into positives or negatives. So you either have a solid object or you can make them a whole. So it's very easy to use and everything like that, and it's great for making basic stuff. Like if you just want to make your own basic house, like, you could probably do that without, you could probably watch a 30-minute YouTube video and do that inside an hour. Because you're going to take a box shape, and then you're going to take a triangle shape, and you're going to stick it on top of the box shape, and then you're going to put another whole box shape in the front for the windows and another one for the door, and poof, you're done. If you want to enter into it, you've got to create a hole in the middle so you can walk inside. But it's not something that would be difficult. I, I taught my daughter and her friend how to make a little tiny teacup and a few other little things in Tinkerverse on, on Zoom. Um, and they were able to do it, sort of. But uh, for the most part, they were. We had other attention issues going on with some of that stuff and figuring out what I was talking about on the screen. But uh, it's not difficult to use. Anybody could really learn to do that. There's very low barrier to entry. Now, I then tried to make a truck um, cab to and there's a reason for that. Go. <laughs> so let so we've already mentioned one probably one of the okay. most watched videos out there is talking about the NYC truck box. Yeah. But you look at the cover and it depicts two box. It depicts two trucks. Yes. Each with two different back ends. Yes. But when you open the box, what you find out it's only one truck with two back ends. Two back ends. So you decided That ticked me that, off. Oh, yeah, cuz you for the I price. bought that for you, you and did. you opened it up and it's it like, said, "What's this?" <laughs> Half of it is missing, and then you read the directions and say, you have to choose. I don't want to choose. What are you kidding me? Not for that much money, I don't want to choose. 
So well, what I did with that, I just assembled them and I didn't glue on either back and I just swap them off either way, whichever way I want it. Still hasn't been painted, by the way, <laughs> but yeah. that's okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I did that and then James is like, well, you can use the truck, the tanker, like separately and just use it as a piece of terrain on the board and you don't need to have it on the back. I'm like, okay, that's great. But if you set it there, it like can't at an angle because it's got two pegs, it's not straight. The back end is higher than the front. So I said, all right, well, this seems like something I could, I could 3D print, I could design something mm -hmm. for this. So I did, and that's also on Thingiverse. Uh, and that I used Tinkercad for. And then James said, hey, you know, I'd really like a tow truck back for this. Well, because you look at it, it's just a shell of a truck where they right. put different back can, ends. Yeah. So why not design and the way I drive a car, I've been towed multiple times yeah. from accidents and such. You have a problem with tires. <laughs> so it's always a flatbed truck yeah. that lifts you onto the back. Right. And so it's like, could you make a tow truck, so make a flatbed like I've been towed in, that would fit the MCP car on it so it would look like a street scene of a, sure. a common occurrence in New York City is cars getting towed Tow away. Yeah. So uh, I made a flatbed for that and added some little accessories so it looks like you can actually tow it up and everything like that. And the nice thing about that is uh, you can actually fit one of the taxi cab cars that comes with the basic set with the starter box or with the NYC terrain set will fit on top of the flatbed. Like, and I put that up there too. And um, that's actually been one of the, we always, I always thought that the oiler stand, yeah. make the oil tanker stand up straight, like look like it was parked in a parking spot would be the most popular. You can stick it in easy. a gas station. Yeah, that would just be an easy one. Yeah. It allows you to turn this dead piece of terrain into like something that looks right instead of yeah. lying on its side. It's like an hour but print job too, 40 minutes, it's nothing. Actually, it's the back end that's actually gotten more downloads that on Thingiverse. Has, yeah, and more likes, which just really surprised me. I'm like, okay. No one wanted a garbage trunk and no one, <laughs> they wanted a tow truck. Apparently. <laughs> uh, either that, they said, well, at least I can get something else for my $70 or whatever it was, you know. Uh, I have a third option now, haha. -ha. So yeah, so and and um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that started, and I did that in Tinkercad. But then I said, well, gee, if I've got a second back end, I should make a truck cab for this. Well, that is not a Tinkercad project, which I quickly learned because in order to make the details in that, you have to add and combine so many different holes and shapes and all of this. Yeah, I kind of melted down Tinkercad, and I couldn't even get the well, thing to load. It works awful. You, you're basically going into a server and modifying Yes, a it's file. an online software. So it's so not on, resident it, on your no, machine. No, 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 no. It's a website that you use. And um, it does not like anything over 25 megabytes. So that sucker was way over that. It was unhappy. And you have so, a problem with like being too detail-oriented. So you were actually trying to make it look like oh, yeah, a truck I, picture that you found. Yeah, I found a picture of a truck on Google. And you were trying to And I printed it, it out and I was copying it as closely as I could um, and still allowing it to print without supports because I have yet to figure out how to do supports for things without it turning into like some encased thing I want in an encased plastic hexagon that I have to cut out. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> and there's one 3D printer that sells stuff, sells terrain and trucks and stuff that does that and you have to cut it out yourself. And I looked at that and went, yeah, no. <laughs> this is like... It's, it's, I, so what I end up doing is I try to break it down into pieces that will all flip, print flat and then I can just assemble on there. 
but that meant I needed to learn Fusion 360. And the nice thing about Fusion 360 is it is also free if you do not want to sell your stuff and you're just like a student and a, and a you know, hobbyist who isn't mm -hmm. selling anything. Like I think if you sell over $100, then they make you pay for it. But I went ahead and bought that and I got a deal on that too because I bought it like, they had some sale on it. So I got like the three years subscription for what it would cost me for like 18 months. So I said, well, that's happening. Hey, it's still one of the cheaper softwares out there for subscriptions. Yeah. It's a fraction of Adobe. I mean, they really rake you over the coals with that, even on the educational edition, which I yeah. qualified for as a homeschooler. So parent, because Ella wanted to learn that, uh, animate and stuff. So no, I mean, it's, it, overall it's pretty affordable. And then SketchUp is also an option. You can do things with SketchUp and export them as STLs. Um, but yeah, so then I had to teach myself Fusion 360. So I got partway through a tutorial on that and then I got bored and I just, I, I learned enough so that I could understand how the space was oriented, like how you, how the workspace was and where stuff was. And then I just started Googling stuff in, on YouTube and figuring it out. And uh, I have actually finally have a book coming on that on Tuesday, tomorrow, I think it's coming. Well, so <laughs> that's one of those things that you find out. And so that's not the science of it, but the crafty side, because yeah. it's not... The thing I don't like about it is, since I'm not super into it, it's right. not a linear process. No. There's working with the machine. There's mm -hmm. working with, like, the Tinkercad Auto 360s. There's Fusion. the slicing <laughs> of it, because what slicer That's its you, own separate issue. Yeah, so there's, yeah. like, these three areas that yeah. you've really got to pay a lot of attention to. It's yes. like, or I can finish painting Rocket. So that's yeah. why, like, okay. if you want to take, well, I mean, you want to explain like what happened when you were trying to print one of the levels okay. there? Yeah. And you found that book. I did. I did. Well, there's, okay. You've covered like four different topics <laughs> in one sentence. So let's break that down. Um, okay. So when I was um, changing, I had to make some mod more modifications because that's the other thing that you do when you 3D print stuff and you're not just like saying, hey, I want that file. You download the file, you slice the file, you print the file. Which you totally can do. So don't think... Which I liked about the Delta. Yeah. As well, long you as can it do felt... it on the Prusa. But... <laughs> I don't know. No, no. I mean, it's the same process, though. You find the file, you download, or, or whatever you have. If you have an Ender or whatever, those are all great machines, too. Um, you know, you can download the file, you can slice the file, you can print the file. But if you want to make any modifications to it, it's a process. It's like anything else where, like, you print it, and then that didn't come out. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, this doesn't look right. So you got to go back into the file and make more changes and all that kind of thing. And then you print it again. So there's a lot of testing going on in the process. So it's not like, I want this, click and print. You know, it's not like printing something on a sheet of paper. Um, you can, again, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you truly want to get into the design part, which is the part I like, it's, it's multi-layered. It's multifaceted. It's not a direct line from A to B, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and that's and that's kind of how I feel, like how you feel about doing all those different things with all those different programs and steps is how I feel about the rules of those games. You know, it's like I could do it, but I, I don't love it enough to make that leap, you know. So the, I, I did one because I had to take when when I altered the building and I shrunk it down to 70 percent, it created. The, the original has pins, clips, that clip the front end and the back end of the buildings together. And you do not see them when you print it out at normal scale. But when you size it down, the outside, the edges of that end up appearing on the outside of the building for some reason. 
so I took those off. Well, in taking those off, it left indentations in the inside of the building, so then I had to fill those in. Well, in one of the ones I filled in, because this I used Tinkercad for, and there's a specific reason for that. When you pull something into Fusion 360, you do not pull it in as an, object, an editable, editable object file. Yes, you can edit it, but I haven't learned how to do that, and the class I'm taking will hopefully teach me that this semester. But I have not figured out how to do that because you import it as a mesh, which is a whole different thing. But if you pull it into Tinkercad, it's just an object, just like anything you'd make in Tinkercad. So you can do a lot of stuff to it easily and quickly. So I pulled it into Tinkercad, and when I did that and I went to slice it, for some reason, wherever I put the, I erased out those edges and filled in the sides of the building so that you didn't have the gaps on the inside, it decided when I sliced it in the Prusa slicer to fill up, the, like to make the floor like six inches high or some ridiculous thing, or four inches high, and then just have a little gap, and I couldn't figure out how to fix that. And uh, Prusa had just had an update on their slicer, so I did not know whether or not it was the Prusa slicer update that was the problem or my file, because it looked fine when I pulled it in, like the STL file looked fine. That's the native file extension for um, any files that you're going to 3D print on a 3D printer. Yeah, it's an STL from file. STL, then you sliced into G code. And right, yeah. STL is what you work with. The G code is what the printer understands. Well, you actually work with it in something else. You export it as an STL. So it'd be the same as if you made something in Word. It's a Word document. But if you want to export it as a PDF, the STL is equivalent to the PDF. It's more universally compatible, and it can be read by slicers right? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Word cannot be read in a, by a PDF or you have to have Word in order to read Word. You don't have to have anything specific to read a PDF. And that's kind of what this is. It's, it has the, the native file that what is, whatever the program you're using is, Fusion has their own, you know, whatever you're using. But the STL file is equivalent to the PDF file, okay? But the PDF file is um, not readable by the 3D printer. So for that, you need a G-code file, which is equal to a text file, like a raw yeah. .text file on a computer. It can be read by any computer. It doesn't matter the operating system or anything else. And that's your G-code file is your text file. Your SDL file is your PDF file. And your um, Word file is your whatever program you make it in native file language. Well, we got off on that. Yeah. Okay. okay, bottom line, the SDL file looked fine. But when I sliced it, it did this weird thing. So I said, okay, well, maybe it's the software. So I downloaded Cura, which is like one of, I think, the most I, common I slicer software. I for the software. Delta. Yeah. yeah. And I sliced it in there to see if it would work, and it did. So I 3D printed that, and with the Prusa, I just used the default settings for the most part. I haven't figured out how to change them and know what I'm doing, so I just kind of haven't. But I set it on the draft quality, which is the 0.3 millimeter. It prints faster, but you see more of the lines. Which I'm um, fine with because when I paint it up, the way the way I prime it and paint it, you don't even and, really notice it. And it cuts the print tag down by about four hours per piece. <laughs> Not total, per piece. And there are like one, two, three, four, twelve pieces to that sucker. So it's a lot. Um, you know, so um, that's, so I tried doing it in the Cura, and I chose my machine, so it was set up for a Prusa, and I chose the draft quality, or whatever they called it, which was 0.3, I sliced it, I printed it. Oh, I could not believe the difference on that, between the print that um, 
I had done previously on the Prusa Slicer to the Cura print, this thing was stringing all over the place. Like, it really looks rough. There were separations in some of the layers. And that was the only difference was the slicer. Like, none of the settings had changed on my actual printer or anything else. So I went back in and doctored the file in Tinkercad and then, um, you know, put it on and, and re-sliced it and it came out fine. And then I printed the same file from the Prusa slicer and it was a world of difference. Well, so I that, couldn't believe it. So that's what I found is 3D printers, like with all those different between like all the different files, the STLs, the slicers yeah. and all that, there's just so many places where like it can go wrong and the yeah, keeper, yeah. the human operator has to intervene yes. to correct it on its on its path to completion before it comes to me for priming and painting. Yes. <laughs> so what I loved is that book you bought. Yeah, well, it that, was... that's the biggest, that's the time suck so, isn't so much the problem, it's figuring out Solving what do the they problem. call the problem <laughs> and how do you fix it? Yeah. Because it's such a community organization yes. that what people, the academic terminology that we use in fields does not exist in 3D printing. Not or really. you, or you got to be a part of that world for like years and deep into it. But you found Even that book then, is like, do you have a problem with your model yes, stringing like this? There, okay. Well, I didn't find it. It was actually a recommended book as part of a 3D printing class I'm taking. It's, a, it's actually an art class. Um, it's intro to 3D printing at the university as part of my program. I needed an elective, an art, art elective, and said, hey, this could work. I have a 3D printer. <laughs> I have a 3D printer. I don't have to go to a lab during a pandemic. This works for me. <laughs> and I like to do this anyway, so I'll, I'll have no problem getting credit for a class that I would take anyway <laughs> for fun. So, uh, yeah, it's um, 3D printer fails, I think is what it's called. And it was a recommended book for... Um, for uh, my class, and they actually have, it was the 2019 book, but then I looked it up to see, you can get it on Amazon, they actually have the 2020 book, which has an extra 70 pages. And the thing I really like about this is, the biggest problem with 3D printing is, it's a visual problem most of the time. Like, whatever, like when you diagnose a medical condition, if you're a doctor or a nurse or something like that, they ask you, what are your symptoms, well, right? And first you they ask them, you, what insurance do you have? Well, then that's they, So they diagnose your wallet. And then they move into like, okay, now I can deal with you. When they're done figuring out their billing codes, they ask you, what, how do you feel? And you have to describe the symptoms of what you have. They'll take your temperature, there's diagnostics they can run on all of that. And then from that set of symptoms, they form a conclusion of a diagnosis. Well, with the 3D printing, the biggest problem is it's all visual. It's like, well, that didn't come out. Well, you can't type into Google, print didn't come out. I mean, what? That, that's a huge There's return. A, like, 3D print yeah, job didn't that's work. That's like saying, I don't feel good. Great. That's not going to help me it's, determine well, what you have. the internet will tell you it's cancer. <laughs> well, that's true. WebMD is very specific about what one of those as being a possibility. But, but no. So the problem is, it's like, well, is it streaking? Is it splitting? Is it curling? And you might call it curling, someone else might call it rippling, someone else might call it not sticking to the plate. All of these could be exactly the same problem. But because the only way you could really diagnose it is by matching the picture of what you have as an issue to a picture online, you can spend hours going through primarily uh, like Reddit type feeds uh, of advice of this because now Prusa has a whole thing and it, it, it gives you help and, and diagnoses issues and they have pictures and it's great. It's better than most of them are. And all, I think it's all 3D print 
all all 3D, something like that. Um, also has a, a bank of information that's helpful and useful to that. But if you can't figure out what to call it, it's hard to figure it out because you don't always have pictures for this. You can't like stick a picture into Google and say, find me this. That is not yet a search option, although I have no doubt in the future sometime it will be. <laughs> but for now it's not. So this 3D printing book has the table of contents is actually pictures of all the different problems. So you can just match the picture of what you see as your problem on your plate or with your print and go, oh, that's what it is. And then you just go to that chapter in the book and read how to fix it, which is outstanding. Or at the very least, you have enough information for your to know what to Google for your specific printer and how to change those settings. So I love that. That's great. My only complaint is it's in black and white. So if you are trying to diagnose something from a black and white image, I'm like, you can't always see all the detail. It's like I really would have shelled out the extra five bucks for color, <laughs> especially in today's world. I mean, it's not 1985. Oh, yeah. It's like a gray blob touching a gray blob. It's like, do it like this. What are yeah. you depicting here? Well, well, like they said, this is how, you know, the first layer is very important on a print. And um, that diagnoses a multitude of different problems depending on how it comes out. And if you don't have that first layer right, you got issues. A variety of different ones, <laughs> but nonetheless. Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that your first layer height is correct. If it's too high, then it doesn't, um, it doesn't print right and you'll have gaps and it won't stick to the plate. If it's too low, you end up with the nozzle running back over the stuff that you just printed and it leaves like zigzags and stuff in there. So you want the perfect, the perfect level if you can figure out what that is. Well, they have three different pictures of this and it's all grayscale and they all three look exactly the same. And I'm like, really? I mean, they have much better pictures online for that and that's like the first thing that you're gonna look at whenever you try to diagnose a problem. And Prusa has some great ones, other, other ones do too. It's not just Prusa. But um, that's the one I go to because that's the printer I have. So of course I'm gonna look there first because it's gonna have specific things I can do to fix my specific printer as opposed to generic things where I then have to figure out so how do I change that on my printer? Because every printer is set up a little differently, both physically and the software as well, you know? So yeah, but, uh, but that's a great book. I would recommend that. That is worth the $18.25 that it's currently selling for on Amazon. Uh, I think it's called 3D Print Fails 2020. So I would definitely invest that. It will save you hours of trying to Google something you can't describe. Like I had, I had these gaps in this one and it was shiny and I literally spent an hour and a half the other day before I had the book, before it came and said, um, or I guess it was after it came, but it was night and I didn't want to pull out the book and I hadn't really looked at it yet because it had just come. And I spent an hour going shiny on bottom. Nope, that's not what it is. Okay, I didn't get how to make your prints shiny. No, I'm not trying to make them shiny. This is a problem, not a solution. Uh, gaps in print. Curls, waves, and everybody called it something different. I walked over to the book the next morning, opened up the index, and went, oh, that's what it is. It's a, it's a, a bed leveling problem, which apparently happens when you do long prints. Which we've been doing a lot of which because I, yeah, those you have are to all, manufacture the brownstones. Every one of those layers is a minimum of five hours. So, well, no, the roof might be only three and a half. But that's like the minimum. So, And I'm doing ones that are like the first layer, the first floor of, of building A is nine over nine hours. So I'm like, I go to mesh bed leveling and then it auto levels and I'm like, oh, well that was easy and the problem instantly went away. And it took me like two minutes to read that in the book after spending an hour and a half Googling it when I should have been sleeping, you know, the night before. 
Well, so at this point, we've spent a lot of time talking about like FDM printers. So yes. this is like constructing the layers, sure. like the Delta and the Prusas there. And much like a serial killer, you've escalated into <laughs> resin I don't like printers. that analogy, thank you very much. <laughs> to resin printers. So you haven't unpacked it or anything. I but, haven't. But you put a... I will... So there is why the resin printer and why, and why this resin printer? Well, we'll, we'll find it. I don't know why. Well, actually, because other people I knew had this resin printer, and I didn't want to spend a lot of time researching it. And because it has resin printer, you add the layer of even more toxic chemicals. Well, this one actually has a built-in fan with a HEPA filter in the back. So it helps prevent, it purifies Which it. Which one and is helps, it? What's the... It is the Anycubic Photon S. I think. Like I said, I didn't write that one down, <laughs> and I haven't opened it. It's still in the box downstairs. Now, um, when you do the re the regular PLA whatever printers, and I haven't opened this, I haven't played with this yet, so I don't really know what I'm talking about yet, but... I think it's important. What were you looking for? What I'm looking for is a couple of different things. So when you try to print really, really tiny, detailed stuff, like um, say you wanted to print a figure... You're going to have really noticeable layers. I know you can do it, but getting it to print and get it the way you want it and smooth it and all of that is kind of a challenge. Now, I haven't learned how to sculpt yet. That is a project for this semester. I'm going to figure that out. I got another book coming on Thursday for that because um, I want to make my own figurines. But um, Well, that's why Amazon sends you those like greeting cards. Hello, Erin. <laughs> you haven't ordered lately. Are you, are you okay? How you doing? Well, someone should check on me. I know. Someone has to care. Is she buried under her Amazon packages? If you don't find me, you should definitely check under there. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, th that's a little thing I want to expand on. If you want to build terrain or large objects, um, your basic 3D printer is like the thing to do. But if you want to, say, print um, a gun for a figure, that thing is going to, I mean, you can do it. But getting it to like stick to the plate and it, it's a challenge and you're going to probably swear a lot doing that. Um, you can figure it out. It can be done. I'm not saying it can't. But the, the details on it, I've had some challenges with it. Um, the SLR, SLR, the resin printers are supposed to be better for little tiny detailed piece things and for, for sculptures and things like that. So since I've been doing this now for a year... Uh, and I really kind of have a lot of fun doing it. I sit, I sat there this week when I was supposed to be doing other things, and I, I made a bunch of stuff I had absolutely no need to make <laughs> to avoid doing the thing I didn't want to do. Uh, and if you ever need an animation or tracing drawing bar so you can stack things and trace them, I, I now have that on Thingiverse as well for my animation class. I don't even know if I'll need it, but it was fun to make nonetheless. <laughs> You're watching the old Walt Disney videos of like the animation. No, it was in my book. It was oh, in my okay. textbook. They were talking about that for the pegs, but I modified it for a three-hole printer, a three-hole punch because who the heck carries that around in their house? Like not me. I'm not buying one of those. An animation wheel. Those things weigh a ton. Yeah. And where would I put that? I probably couldn't even lift the thing. But I have a light box, like a light tablet, an LED tablet where you can do for tracing and drawing and stuff like that. So this just you put command strips on the back and you stick it on there and now you've got the equivalent of a light table for, you know, a fraction of the price and portability. Um, but nonetheless, so I like to make random things. Sometimes they're useful, sometimes they're decorative. And I have a bunch of uh, smaller stuff that I've also made that I haven't put up yet because I, I did finally have to break down and make the mess. Well, no, I think that's the issue is like, 
So I'll go into like War Games Vault or Thingiverse and you find terrain file. But yeah. if you go into like Kickstarter or there's some of these people that make absolutely beautiful miniatures, but they tell you straight up like this is going to require a resin. If you want to capture yeah. this level of detail, detail. Mm-hmm. and like, of this dragon, yeah, and there's stuff that you know the Prusa wouldn't be able to do it. I'm sure you could probably. I don't think it would look. It, it wouldn't it's, look as good as the resin. Probably not. Um, so, so that's why I got it, and I don't really know a darn thing about it. Like, I, I still have to assemble it. I have to play with it, and I have something I want to design that you said you wanted, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I'm going to try to do a Pepsi challenge on that. And once I get it designed, and I get the 3D printer out and do some test prints, because um, it won't take me. It shouldn't take me that long to design. Um, and what I'll do is I'm going to do the Pepsi challenge and print one on the Prusa and one on the resin okay. and then compare them and see how they look and, like, what came out better and all that. So, and then you, know, you can that, find out what it is. That'll <laughs> serve as a, for anyone listening to this, know how old we are and that we know what the Pepsi challenge is. Sweetie, I dated myself throughout this entire uh, yeah. podcast. It's kind of pointless at this point. <laughs> well, you might have just been looking back. <laughs> I don't think I don't I think said Ella knows about the Pepsi challenge. <laughs> she should. She's seen Psych. Oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> so, but, but that that's like the next step is the resin gets you those like sculptural. Yes, yeah, it's it's supposed to be more for. that. Plus, you could do something incredibly toxic and physically harmful to yourself and do acetone smoothing. <laughs> so that'll I'll, be the I'll next. take care of that one. Like, no, well, that's no, a... no, because you actually I found instructions on on. Um, on YouTube of how you can make your own because you don't actually place it in the acetone it's a vapor thing but to do that you also so what they do is they tell you to get uh, a certain type of box like plastic container bin from like Target or Walmart or whatever and then you place another box inside and you set that on top of the box on a grate so that the fumes can penetrate from underneath then you need a fan that you have to cut a hole into it and do that so you know that's a project for another day, and that will be in the garage with the door open or just straight up outside. Put that nope. sucker in the backyard. That, that's a spring project. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, hey, you know what? For my class, I'm supposed to design something practical. Maybe I oh, can design yeah. a mount for the fan to go in and do acetone smoothing. <laughs> it's not really artistic, but it's well, functional. And that's what we were talking about is if you could take the resin printer, and I know how to make molds. Right. Uh, single molds or two-part molds. Yeah. Um, you could print something off with the resin, mm-hmm. get that right, acetone, smooth it. Right. And then um, you can cast I, would, it. I would put it in and cast it, and then yeah. we could just... Assuming you can that. get rid of the air bubbles, because that was the problem with the stuff... You might have stuff. to assemble a vacuum chamber when doing the mold. I don't know how to do that. I, 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 you know how to do yeah, that? I can... That why haven't you done that? Because I, I, always, I always like... Well, you made, so you made me that plate that shakes. I made you a vibrations table for small objects. Yeah, which is very helpful when you're, you know, casting something. Right. Get the little air bubbles out of the object. We won't say which ones, but there's places for air bubbles. Well, I sculpted a little snowman I asked you to mold. Yeah, and they're. Out of sculpty clay. Yeah, yeah. I still have that. It still has a hole in its mouth. (laughs) Even, yeah. I guess that. I try to always figure out how to do it one part mold, so I just pop it out. It's yeah. horrible on the mold. It, like, tears it apart after a while. Right. But it's simpler to make a one part mold than a two part mold. Yes. Just a longer I know. I process. looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> but the, when you're doing the casting, you can use a vacuum cleaner to make a vacuum chamber. 
there's like instructions mm. to a do-it-yourself vacuum. You should have told me that before I got rid of the old vacuum. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, I've been relying on you to do 3D printers. <laughs> I think you can get vacuums in a chamber. Because a dustbuster is smaller, but it doesn't have the amount of suck. Like, it depends on how much suck you need. How much do you need to suck, James? <laughs> well, you know, we'll discuss that in a mold, <laughs> uh, mold making episode sometimes. People are interested in how to make Because I can, now see, because that's something you could 3D print, and that's where I'd have to get out that stupid TPU stuff so I could create a seal that then fits on the outside of the dustbuster, and then you can um, create a hose coming off of that which would then fit into the mold. Like, I can, I can do that. I can figure out how to do that. Well, you know, that, that's actually why I moved from uh, making molds of, like, terrain pieces mm -hmm. and casting them in uh, two-part They resin. weighed a ton! You yeah, have one hiding that. under a cup. I moved the cup and almost lost a, broke my foot when that thing fell off. Yeah, so Ugh. when you do two-part resin and you do a solid chunk, that, that's, a, that's a solid, hefty paperweight. And if you use a mold a lot, there's this heaving process that goes on because the two-part resin yeah, heats no, I've seen and it. then cools. And it starts very quickly, makes in very imperfect clones. Right. And when you're trying to make precision pieces, so, that's unacceptable. So are you going to just learn how to do this with metal now? Is that what I'm going to find? A little mini forge that's in the garage? That, that's just a... I thought you said metal was the cheapest choice. In, not in making the mold... No, no, no. The, I meant I meant making metal figures because Oh, yeah, that's because you use um yeah, you use a regular mold. I thought you meant like the metal mold plates. Like no, but stamp. would the metal now would the would the metal figures if you casted it in metal not made a mold out of metal cuz we've had that discussion already. I still think there's got to be a better way. I just haven't better figured way out what molds. it is yet. Yes. Yeah, you go to Shenzhen. No. There's, there's a guy I in flip-flops. It doesn't toxically pollute the planet. <laughs> As long as it's just Shenzhen. Ugh, oh, that's just so wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, if you did that, because you said it's the, it's the heating and cooling of the resin inside the silicone mold that causes it to deteriorate. Yeah. Is it the actual heat or is it the chemical? Because like, with the resin, you've got a chemical heat. It's not like a physical heat. Whereas with the metal, you have a physical heat, not a chemical heat. So the question is, would that break down the mold as quickly as the resin does? Well, I think the heat just softens the bonds on the molecules, mm. and it's when you flex the mold. Mm -hmm. That's why you need the two-part mold, James. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to have to break the, down uh, and make it, make it happen. Yeah, it's, that's a process. I always try to avoid that because I just want to be in and out. Like, Well, see, that's what I was thinking, though, is if I can make my own thing, I can actually just make you a mold. Like, I can make you a 3D mold out of resin. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, well, and then you can just cast it. Well, the first time we did some of this stuff, like used Fusion 360 mm -hmm. and like some of the mold making was at the Makerspace in um, Crystal City. Oh, yeah. Um, we went to that one Makerspace that DARPA used to sponsor well, before they went out of business. Yeah. Not DARPA. The, well, I didn't the, go to the mold making. That was just yeah, you. I bought you, you that as a present. you went to Fusion 360, but I remember he, talk, he talked about that guy was making negative molds. Yes. So he would design something in Fusion 360, mm -hmm. and then we won't say what it was <laughs> because it's it inappropriate. It was a giant screw because that's what we were uh, taught how to make. <laughs> so this person was going making negative molds and then, like, casting something. And so he mm -hmm. was 
pushing silicon, he was making a mold out of metal and then pushing silicone. So he was doing a negative of what right. people normally do. So right. But I think, uh, but I think that was pretty quick and dirty of like your evolutionary process. And I think it was really long, actually. Well, and overly I, involved, and it took a lot well, of side I mean, tours and detours. That's that's the fun part. Of, but I think the problem is when you start approaching three D printing. The thing that always surprised you is what you didn't know. And so, like, the journey of the oh, process. No. I knew I didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the way 3D printing is always sold is look what you can make. Look what you can make. You can. Look what you can make. That's like buying an Italian car. Maybe someday you could go someplace. Who knows? It's got wheels <laughs> and an engine. It'll work for a while without <laughs> needing any tune-ups. Um, Getting there safely well, isn't adventurous. Well, that's what I said. Like, if, if you want to do that, you know, get yourself a basic one or just, like, go find a place that will print it for you and pay them. And there's just that, say, I'm done. That, well, that's, <laughs> I think that's the first time we ran was we were in uh, Dayton. Dayton, yeah. Down by the new sports stadium. Yeah, their they maker had, space. They had a bar slash maker space. One side was a bar, the other side was the maker space. And I went there and just, it was the first time I saw Thingiverse because yeah. they had that wall of 3D printers. Yeah, and so, well, like, people it wasn't come really this, a wall. It was actually like a divider wall of all glass, and there were printers inside each of the little glass cubes. Well, and that's which actually why, really cool. And that's where I was flipping through there, and they had like uh, Space Marine um, Rhino mm -hmm. wrecked. And I was like, well, yeah. no one wants to buy a Space Marine Rhino and like take a hammer to it. Not and turn for that it kind a, of money. And turn it into a terrain piece. And then it's like, oh, how long, to, how long to print this? Oh, that'll take us 10 hours. Yeah. And it's. Uh, well, how much was it an hour? Like more than five bucks. It was bucks. ridiculous. It would have been more than if you just bought a bought Rhino it. So I might it. as well just buy it and take a hammer yeah, to yeah. it for this amount of money. But, you know, it's for like little kids leave the uh, sure, baseball yeah. stadium and say, Mommy, what are we going to do now? Like, well, I'll get some mommy juice over here in the bar. You go print off uh Yeah, for like an hour. <laughs> they're assuming Neko you're going to get. Like, exactly. They're assuming you're going to get some little figurine that's like bigger than a minifig and, you know, smaller than an action figure. And it's going to take you about two hours to print it. And they had some video games back there. And they also had a soldering station where you could build these little kits that they had. And then by the time you're done doing that, your model will be ready. Yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily, you know, an all-in-one. Although now they might, and I haven't looked this up, but there might be um, like 3D printing services. And there's actually quite a lot of 3D printed stuff on um, Etsy, if yeah. that's something you want. And a lot of them, these uh, Some of them big, are rough, though. Well, that's a different conversation. But um, a lot of these big companies that make terrain and things like that, like there's a ton of it for MCP. I think Corvus Belli. Corv Corvus Belli makes Infinity. Corvus Terrain. Corvus Terrain. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't well, well, it's understandable. They, they have a license with Corvus Belli to make right, Infinity that's, Terrain. That's what I was going to say, is a lot of these, these big companies that make this stuff, they make the STL files. Well, they have a bunch of people on Etsy that have decided to get contracts with them. So they're legally allowed to print it and sell it. So like they're not skirting any rules, I don't think. Um, and they can 3D print it for you and you can buy it off of Etsy. And it's still, I mean, most of it runs like 25 bucks a piece. So it's not bad. I mean, plus shipping. And that's the one I nice think about the 3D printed terrain. It's light. Yeah. It does not weigh a lot. Well, unless Brian, it's a solid piece. When Brian piece. came over and checked it out, because I had, in the garage, I had yeah. the resin models <laughs> next to the 3D printed buildings. And one's like light as a feather. Yeah. The other one I could club a seal with. Yes, pretty much. Yes, yes. Um, so those are, that, that you're not going to be paying a lot on the shipping. My one big complaint when, the, there, well, no, two. I have two complaints. One, I personally like to, if I, if I were to do this as a business, which I won't because I 
much like the um, gaming rules, I do not want to do that aspect of it. So if that ever happened, James would have to take that part take over, over the back and, end and distribution. Yes, we would have to work out some sort of percentage cut on this. We've I've, discussed it. I've watched enough Ozarks. So the think? two issues I have, one, they usually print all this stuff in draft quality so you can see the lines. And some of those prints are like super rough. Now, granted, you cut about three hours, two to four hours off of a print when you use that. And if you have a good slicer and you have a good machine, you can do that and it doesn't look horrible. I mean, it's not great, but it's not, it's passable. And if, if unless you're an awesome painter who's going to paint every highlighted detail, probably not going to affect your overall outcome. Um, so I, I hate that they're charging that for what it is. And some of them, I'm like, I can see the cross hatches in this. It's like really, really bad. So that's my one issue. My other issue is they make a lot of these and they print them as solid buildings. So it takes a huge box for this thing that weighs nothing to ship it. When you could actually make that in pieces and slice it, and by slice it, I don't mean slice it in a 3D slicer software. I mean, like physically go into the object and slice it into panels and flat print it on a on your on your plate and then package it and just assemble it and glue it together because you're now taking something that will cost you about $15 with priority shipping 13 12 to 13 dollars of priority shipping to ship it in a box for this one we're talking about not the one square building that we're talking about here that that I printed for James which you'll see a picture of I'm talking about one of those one of those houses not the three individual apartments that are slammed together that take up the block so a third of the block high would cost you about $13 in shipping to fit it in the size box you would need to do that as a print. Whereas if you pack that flat, you could fix that. You could fit that in like your basic, you know, dollar shave club box. If, if that's a reference for you, you know, we're talking like an inch high, maybe, mm, what is that? Seven inches long, you know, and four inches wide tops so and, and its weight in that size that would be exactly. three dollars 48 cents from like well that no i'm talking priority we gotta oh, compare okay. apple to apples so we go from like a 13 to 15 dollar printing or i'm sorry shipping charge to like maybe eight dollars or you could actually just put that thing in a um, padded envelope like a smaller padded envelope mm -hmm. so you're talking like eight bucks priority and if the post office were actually delivering on time, that's two to three days. <laughs> Apparently now to ship to Maryland, it's 10. <laughs> I still don't know where that box is that I sent last week. So I think that's the objective there is like you look at 3D printers as a value yeah. for printing terrain. Like yeah. Just out of the box, you can go to Thingiverse, print oh, a bunch yeah. of terrain. Oh, 100%. Or if you want cheaper terrain than like what the big uh, name brands like Warlord or Games mm -hmm. Workshop, you can go to places like uh, Etsy Etsy's and your find best people bet. who are licensed, licensed, approved yeah, dealers yeah. who will make stuff for you and like send it to you. Yeah. Um, still cheaper, but you know, you still have that shipping and handling issue. You do. Yeah. But I mean, you're still, you know, I mean, you'd probably do okay, especially if you do bulk buys, you know, yeah. you buy several of them. And the other nice thing about the Etsy one is that they will size it up or down for you. So like you can get 40 millimeter for MCP versus 28 millimeter for 90% of the games that are out there. So it's the same file and you can choose what size you want, which is something that you don't get to do when you just buy directly from a company. Like 
the big thing, my thing is, if you buy this stuff from somebody else, you really need to make sure they have pictures of the miniatures next to the buildings and it's what you think you're getting. Because a lot of times they don't have scales on any of well, the stuff on Thingiverse. we had that with the, MD, the MDF truck. Because oh, we that were looking for insanity. a cheaper um, yeah. truck. And we went to TT Combat, yeah. which is a big company. And we made a video on that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this, this truck is great for 28 millimeters up to MCP. No. And the truck, it's like uh, Ultron could like take a nap in the truck. He was like a giant character. Yeah. And like, I put the 28 millimeter guys, and it's like a one-bedroom efficiency in the East Village right there. Well, the, the back end of the dump truck on that was like the same size as the entire, you know, coffee shop that the MCP terrain set comes with. I mean, it was literally the same size. Yeah, so when you go to, a, go to somebody, because that's, that's the thing I like about Corvus Terrain. They yeah. say if you, when they sell you an STL file, they say, okay, like the underground subway sure. terminal. It's like, if you want it for MCP, scale the si file mm -hmm. to this. If you want it for 28 millimeters, scale it to that. So it's yeah. like, pictures with the actual miniature matter. Yes. Yes, they do. All right. So I think we'll wrap it up there, but we'll talk about what do you have planned for the future for your well, gaming or hopping? Well, I think kind of covered that. Well, I'm taking a class. I'm taking three classes, actually. That's one of them. And um, I, I think we kind of covered that. I'm going to break out the resin printer and make something and then print it on both and then see kind of what happens. Um, I've, I've got a few little little things I'm going to attempt to make as accessories to this brownstone building. But again, okay. I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> I already have, you already made street lights. I did. I haven't put those up yet. Um, that oh, I'm, right. I'm hoping, I haven't put those up. I've got, um, I want to post some of the other accessories. I, I made some... Um, some uh, pallets. I made a pallet jack. Um, gosh, what else? It was a while ago. I made uh, fencing. The fencing is slightly oversized, but it works as really big industrial fencing, and mm -hmm. it's great if you want to cover a lot of spaces or fence off. Like if you have an oversized game area and you want to use a smaller amount of it. Yeah, that's why I use it for yeah, Zona Alpha to scale down the yeah, boundary right, of the right. exclusion zone. Right, um, or just kind of makes it look prettier if you don't have a lot of money to spend on a lot of terrain, but you want to cover, because it, it covers, uh, how big did I make that? 100 millimeters wide, I believe. I have to look. It's yeah. been well, a while. If you figure that this style of brownstone has been around since, depending on the architectural features, easily 1880s to mm -hmm. present day, the way you'd modify the look of your board is changing the street lights and yeah. adding a fire hydrant. Well, I made a modern yeah. street light, yeah. so it's, it's more contemporary. Um, like I would say, like all those ones that that you kind of grew up with in the '90s, like where they moved away from the square heads that came out to the rounder ones. It's those, um, you know. But uh, you know, I've got I've got a bunch of little stuff I haven't had a chance to put up on there. I lost my entire jump drive with all my support files oh, yeah. and my instructions. I watched them as they slowly melted away. Oh, they did too. And now the thing won't even light up. So I'm in the process of attempting to recapture those. Some of those, they're just gone. Like, I'm not redoing that. That was just way too much of a time suck. So, um, but I'm going to go ahead and put the files up there for whoever wants to download them and, and things like that. And some small things, like I made some um, security cameras. And again, I mean, they're obviously oversized, but you can't physically print something that tiny and tell what it is at, yeah. at scale. So you've got to have some things where you have to just cheat the scale a little bit, but it looks passable. Well, yeah, and I think finding that, that tiny and you're standing, say, three, four yeah. feet away on the table. It's like, it's hey, like, look, a dot. Yeah. And but you've made. You've made. I have. Somebody. I have made a dot. 
Those were error prints, but sure, they were there. Um, no, but I've got an exit sign. I've got some security cameras, um, lampposts. I gotta look in there and see what I've got. Pallets, pallet jacks. Um, I want to finish that uh, shipping container that I started and never finished. Oh, the ISO shipping container. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a stickler for trying to make it exactly to scale replicas because. So I look up the dimensions Which on all of these. We actually found people on Etsy who made were saying they were making ISO shipping containers. Yeah. The scale not, was actually wrong. They are. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, there's nothing wrong with it. You can use them. It's a terrain nuts. piece. But yeah, it's sure. Not, yeah. Uh, but I actually tried to make it to scale, and I also tried to make it flat pack so that it it collapses, and that's part of it. And the and you wanted the doors to open, so you, the, you know there was that, and try to get that hinged. And I have issues with hinged things because if you try, you have to you have to size up the hole. You can't just like use the item that you want to fit in the hole and make a hole with it so it fits perfectly because there's no room for it to move. It won't wiggle. Mm -hmm. it's fixed in there like you could jam it in it'll stay but it won't move so you got to make the hole a little bit bigger and then you have to get it centered so that it all lines up right it's a thing so that's been taking me a little bit longer to kind of get put together in there and, and all that so that was not done um but just some other oh i made some boxes some cardboard boxes um those are not flat pack those are yeah that's not gonna happen but the lids come on and off so you can hide stuff yeah. in there if you Could've want or whatever. yeah yeah so I've got, I've got a bunch of little stuff, not a whole lot, but some. So I'm going to try to get that up there. I don't know if I'll get to that today. I got my classes starting this week, and I don't know what the time commitment is going to be on that yet. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to post those. I just never got around to it. Yeah, so I think for me, it'll probably be today and tomorrow you'll finish up all the brownstones there. Because yes, I got, I got I, one printing today. i got to notice that Funky Skulls Games sent my miniatures in there so they, e they sent the email saying they're coming so i need my terrain are you gonna do the outsiders no wait that was also 50s i said west side story that was wrong too yeah <laughs> no so disco fever oh no one's ever made a disco well some of the characters in that since it's like late 70s they got some of them have a disco flair to them no i made an actual disco building like with the ball oh and all yeah that. yeah yeah that would be fun yeah disco hut <laughs> So roller well, roller rink. I, I think I'll need some more Krylon uh, gray because okay. so with the 3D like the PLA. Yeah. I like to spray it with the Krylon gray primer. Primer. Yeah. Because that primer is cheap. It's available anywhere yeah. you want. And if you go through a can, it's like five bucks. If I try to use like my Mechanicus gray from the Games Workshop, that's like a twenty twenty two dollar can, mm -hmm. and like I'd use it up on that. So nope, not. <laughs> Not doing that. <laughs> well, it's a lot of surface area. You're yeah. not just priming a little miniature. And that's... for a building, you're going to slap a bunch of paint on. It's like, hey, yeah. that's going to be brown. Does it really yeah. matter that well, much? I should find some brown. Primer. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. What color are you painting that? It's green that's... right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to paint that. Like I said, I found the neighborhood that he based it on. Oh, you're going to make it look like the... Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I want to make it look like... You should uh... make the pink ladies. What, the, oh, San the San Francisco, Francisco ones? That's yeah. not a bad idea. It'd be building A. The there. problem is it's on a slope. So, like, how would I build it so that it was on a slope? Well, there I'd get some, uh, you gotta I mean, get I a Home Depot, it. you get the two-inch foam pads, you stack, and then you slice them, and you use your scrapers like doing a cake, and then you can insert the buildings, and, like, 
And there's the park across the street from there where the tourists gawk at the pink ladies. Right. To the annoyance of the Cause, residents. Because apparently anyone who lives in San Francisco, regardless of source of income or the job that they have or, or lack of employment, can't afford to live well, in a pink lady. <laughs> I, I will say five-year engagement. They show him as like what, what a, sous chef, a sous chef living in like an apartment in a pink lady right. on his $14 an hour income. Like, Which wasn't minimum fool. wage then. It's like a, yeah, it's like a million and five to buy a crappy one. And that was like years ago. I know. So, all right. Well, I think that's enough We have here. really digressed here. <laughs> so thank you for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs and we'll see you next time. Bye.